And we are here, once again, a special episode of The Appreciator. I have uh, Thomas Seacase with me, a musician who recently moved to TRC. Yes, yeah. And, uh, well, I got, I've well, got... Well, it's almost going to be four years, if that's recent. Well, to me, you know... Yeah, cool. <laughs> I was a newbie here for the first ten years, so... And everyone calls me T, by the way. We didn't T. talk about the first name, but yeah, everyone calls me T. T. Yeah. C case. Yeah. All right. T. Um, what was the first music you heard that excited you as a kid? Uh, wow. Um, it's a good question. Um, I have some pretty early memories of my dad with this uh, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis band and uh which is pretty intense for a little kid i guess but um but it was like the kind of music that would that was pretty excited would be exciting to anybody i think but uh i have a pretty early memory of being at um a friend's house and hearing a recording of uh um Zippity Doodah by uh, Louis Armstrong, which caught my attention, and I was I was pretty young, and I remember them talking about Louis Armstrong, and it made kind of an impression on me. So there was music in the house when you were a kid. Oh yeah, bef before I was a kid. <laughs> you came after the music. It was uh, pretty much music uh, all the time. Yeah, all kinds of music. Um, my grandmother was like a classical piano. She taught classical piano. And my mom was like a soprano. She went to Eastman. And then she transferred to uh, Boston University and met my dad. And they were both um, in like doing music uh, education. They were in a, they figured they you know, do music education instead of uh, worrying about being a performer or whatever. But then my dad wound up just doing music after uh, some time teaching. And Around the time that I was born, I think he quit teaching. Hmm. My mom kept doing it for a little while longer, teaching and music. He played? He, my dad played all the woodwinds, like saxophones, flutes, and clarinets. Okay, reeds. So all of them, yep. Nice. Reeds plus flutes. Flutes. Oh, yeah. like an Eric Dolphy type of... Yeah, yeah. Nice. Where would you say you are from? I'm from uh, Putnam Valley, New York. Oh, okay. Originally. An another New Yorker. Yeah, from New York. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like about an hour north of New York City. Oh, okay. And um, uh, not far from the Hudson River, across from West Point. Yeah, oh, real close to where I, I grew up in Monticello. Okay, Monticello, yeah. So. I played the racetrack there. Oh, a really? Few times. And, uh, yeah, and the neighborhood there, like the, all those Catskill the hotels. Yeah. Oh, so you were around when there were still the resorts yeah. there? Yep, the late 1900s. And then over some into the into this new century a little bit the, not too much though 
Yeah, well, there wasn't much there. Yeah, the, the Raleigh was like pretty much the last. Oh one. yeah, Manny Halbert. Yeah, and um, which was, I mean, you know, it was interesting to be just to be part of that. That really the tail end, like I really saw it die, collapse. Oh yeah, literally. And uh, so yeah, my dad was like part of it too. He like he was there like when it was at the height. You know, I remember. When I was a kid, he would talk about, you know, playing in the mountains, and that sounded like some, like, mythical land far oh, away. It really was. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of. I mean, big celebrities from New York to get out of the city would take gigs. Yeah. yeah. They got big, big acts. Yeah. And they played bungalow colonies even in that day. Yep. So there was the, the Borscht Belt, right. which is what you're talking about, the Jewish Alps. That oh, they you bet. It. And then there's the uh, the Italian Alps on the other side, which was I kind of lived in yeah, Villa Roma and yep. yep. And then also on even farther over on to like uh, like Tannersville, like um, Villa Vosilla and yeah, Friar Tuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we made my family made mattresses, and we made the mattresses for all those places okay. for years and years. Wow. So I was in and That's out of amazing. all the resorts growing up and saw the decline. That's amazing, yeah. So when did you get out of there? I left for good around um, 1990, pretty much. I okay. popped back a couple times, but there's... So, yeah, so we... I probably started working up there a couple of years later, like um, at the Granite, which oh. would be the first place. Nice. Yeah, they were really cool big hotels. They don't have that part of the country doesn't have anything like that. There are a couple left, but there's a couple left. Yeah, and there's like uh, uh, like Mohonk is another. Um, in the Poconos, I guess. Is in the Poconos. Yeah, that's the nearest sure resort. Yeah, and I did some playing down there too. And when did you write your first song? Um, I, you know, I started, like, writing, like, uh, they weren't really songs, we, I would call them tunes, like, they were more like, like, jazz tunes, kind of, and, uh, like, probably, like, around 16, 15 or 16, I was probably writing, like, actually writing something, um, Uh, although I was probably writing, like collaborating with people before that, but something that I wrote like by myself that was right. like a, a real, actually wrote it out on paper kind of thing. Oh, so you're trained, you can... Yeah, I started doing that um, pretty young. Actually, my dad, I used to copy charts for my dad, so I got into the idea of it by copying what I saw and then... Um, he, you know, he would be like, "Hey, help! You know, I gotta write some parts here. You can help." And and then uh, later on, I went to at Berkeley. I studied it oh, for real, nice. and then got better at it. But um, I was already doing it in high school. Nice. You had bands. Um, I had a, I had a uh, high school. I went to a weird. I, uh, I went to the Poughkeepsie Day School in Poughkeepsie, New York, and. Uh, it was really small, 
and I had a music teacher that had um, come out of the sort of third stream department at Bard and she pretty much just made me write she told me like write something she made like forced me to write something she was the first person to like really make me write so I started writing and uh, I liked it I liked doing it so um, and then by the en by the end of my like that was pr probably when I was like a freshman she said you're the new drummer you're the because our drummer just left the school so you're the drummer and you're gonna have to start writing music and the, and the school every year wrote and uh, performed a musical so with the help of her and this English teacher uh, who did most of the actual writing like they I think they did but the kids really did come up with songs and plots and everything characters and that's great so it was pretty yeah it was a learning experience and then to all of a sudden be like like I didn't really think I knew how to play the drums actually but she saw that I could I guess or under you know she saw something in me or whatever so then all of a sudden I'm doing performing like uh reading like this musical like she would just throw music at us and we'd have to like figure it out on the spot pretty much oh. which is a great way to learn oh yeah <laughs> thrown into it is yeah definitely the best way to learn anything yeah and she would say things like oh i can tell that you're you're just faking it you know she's like you're great at faking it but you know also try and like <laughs> figure out what's going <laughs> yeah so yeah i was a good faker from the beginning so who is your biggest inspiration? Or if you've got more than one, I mean, you don't have to cut it down to one. Um, yeah, I've had, I mean, I've had a lot of inspirations over the years, like, uh, uh, but some of the ones that remain constant are like, um, the ones that people would know are like Jimi Hendrix and John Coltrane and um, there's certain people that are kind of have uh, there's always new stuff that you can hear in their music you know yeah uh, those are the kind of people that you know but but there's been all kinds of influences that were mostly a lot of people that you probably wouldn't know of but like like one of my first ones was uh, I found this record um Steve Marcus The Lord's Prayer <clears throat> and it happened that my dad was on it and it, when he pulled it out when he pulled it out me and my friends pulled it out and we saw that it was like oh wow your dad's up here. check this weird record out and we put it on and it was changed our life we were like probably like 11 or 12 and it we were like wow okay we could play mu we can play music it gave us the idea oh, like you know what so maybe that's this might answer your first question actually in a way that really this, excited you this record yeah because uh it was um we put it on and it sounded like it was wrong like there was, there was something wrong with it and there and there was it was it wasn't real musicians he had this it was a, my dad's friend had the idea that he wanted to do. He had a uh, he got a record deal, 
and he did two. He had a two record deal, and he did the first record. Then he had a, the idea for the second record was he wanted to um, use his friends. He wanted to have his friends be part of it. So, oh. so the first track, and and this guy is like a virtuosic saxophone player. The first note that you hear is this guy who um, was actually I was named after him by my name T. Ah. His name was Tom Zimmerman, and my dad taught him how to play the saxophone for just for this record. So the first thing you hear is this guy that doesn't really know how to play the saxophone playing Hey Jude. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it goes on, and the drums come in, and they're like backwards. It's like sounds like it's like f fucked up. And, and it's Larry Clark, who, who's a photographer. Both these guys were, were photographers by trade at the time. Larry C Clark went on to like win at Cannes for directing like kids and other Ooh, wow. weird stuff, but he's playing drums on this, and then it it kind of it goes on and on. My dad's playing uh, saxophone all, also with him, and then all of a sudden it cuts and it's Herbie Hancock and it's. Bob Moses on drums, like a real serious band, all of a sudden, and just the juxtaposition of it. And then this guy, Steve Marcus, like wow. takes an incredible like rock and roll. It's almost like combining rock and roll with John Coltrane, oh, wow. kind of. It's like the almost like the birth of it, and it's like 1968. Oh, that was a, yeah, so a great year for. So he's putting out this song. It's the same year that Hey Jude came out, actually. Right. did it like right away and uh, yeah so it's like an early fusion thing before the word fusion was ever a, a word this guy Steve Marcus and uh, Gary Burton and um, Larry Coriel these guys were kind of the yeah, they were first young, ones right. yeah to be like trying to improvise over rock tunes in, a, in that kind of a way you know like a serious uh, jazz way, not like jazz. Wes Montgomery, just right. Yeah, com really combining like Jimi Hendrix and Train, kind of. Oh, nice. Uh, what do you see as your trajectory now? Right now. Right uh, now. Uh, that's uh, that's an interesting question. I don't uh, really think of... I've never really thought of my trajectory. I just kind of do my thing, and then... I don't know. We'll see what happens. Oh, so you <laughs> improvise. That's yeah, I pretty much improvise. Yeah. I mean, being out here is a big part of that. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing out here, like, in terms of... Like, I had no plan. So, um... I had to... I had to get out of the East Coast for a number of reasons, um, medical reasons, and, uh, like, I got really bad Lyme disease. Oh, yeah. So, and I kind of just had to be in a place where I could go outside and not worry about ticks. ticks. Yeah. And then we stumbled on this place, and, you know, oh, so yeah. that's the main, that's the main thing, just trying to live without, uh, being all messed up. Yeah, I got it, nasty. Yeah, yeah, I got it in the brain and everything. It's neurological. I lost my mind. And but you're getting it back, I hope. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. That's good. Yeah. What act 
would you like to open for? If you could just pick anybody. Hmm. Um, Beyonce. Ooh. You'd have to say Beyonce right now. But, I mean, only because I just... It's uh, <laughs> just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> well, that's the best answer. Usually what comes to mind first is... Yeah, I have to, I have to go with Beyonce. Oh. If not just one time. You know, I wouldn't want to do it every night, but maybe just, maybe just once. <laughs> now this one, because you grew up with music, might be a little tricky, but... What was the first live show you went to see? Maybe of your own volition and not... Okay. It's a good question. I have a... When, like... Pretty early Frank Zappa experience. One of yeah, my heroes. and like in his like probably his favorite band that he had, maybe it's pretty amazing. It was um, like, like George Duke that era. It was I don't know if George was there. It was uh, it was Chad Wackerman. Oh yeah, okay. It was like it was like probably eighty seven, eighty eight something. Like yeah, it's that. about when I saw him in Poughkeepsie. I saw him at the, we were at the same gig. The possibly. Civic Center. Yeah. yeah, we were there. I am the walrus. Yep. It, yeah. And stairway, stairway to, to heaven. heaven. Okay. Yeah, yeah we were at the, we same, were at the show. same show. Amazing show. Oh, that was and and that's incredible. I don't know if you've you know about you can't do that on stage anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Those are and he says like that was his favorite band, and it was unreal. He played so much guitar that night. Yep. Yeah. Now there's so many good solos. I yeah, it was unreal. That. Yeah, we were we were totally blown out and then my friend was asleep and we were like well, how can you sleep through this <laughs> and uh, where was your first performance or was that pretty much the well your performance as opposed to like with the school or something okay yeah yeah it was at um it was in um it was at the at a roller rink in Hyde Park it was I forget the name of that roller rink. Um, but yeah, that was the first. And I actually played there years later. And I was like, wow, this is like full circle. <laughs> and what kind of stuff were you doing? It was like a high school like rock band oh, kind of a thing, like covers, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And uh, what do you think of T or C? Now, have you been here four years? Um, I think about it a lot. Um, <laughs> it's 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 a lot like some of the places that we lived in in the east, actually. If like like small towns like Phoenicia or um, even though the population is a lot higher, it has some of the same foibles and good things you know um it's uh but at the same time it's also like 180 degrees opposite in terms of the weather and climate and all that oh yeah that gets cold up there yeah and i had enough of all that 
It's yeah. a lot of why I'm down here. Yeah. yeah. You just get sick of it after a while. The shortening summer, you Ooh. know, and just the forever winter. Yeah, I, I, I like the heat, so, like, the, when it's super hot, it's fine with me. Nice. <laughs> yep. Desert rat material. Yeah, I just, I feel like I was trying to get my house this that warm, like, the whole time, all winter, you know, back in the Catskills, so, just uh, looking at it that way. Who's your favorite visual artist? Hmm. That's a good question. Um. Hmm. I was, uh, I, I'm, I guess Picasso comes to mind because I had an early fascination with him when I was a kid, but, uh, But I might say Escher too comes to mind. Um, yeah. He was a great mathematician artist. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And Picasso was just amazing. Yeah. Where is your dream venue? The place that. Dream venue. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I think, like, probably, you know, for, for, for jazz, it would be probably the Village Vanguard. I never really got to play there, but um, saw a lot of great music there. Um, but. I guess it depends on what kind of music it is. Uh, you know, Red Rock seems pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. I haven't played there yet. The, my dream one. That, that's a good one. That's a good. One. And uh, who do you listen to now? What's what have you been listening to? Um, I listen to. Uh, I listen to stuff that I gotta listen to like in order to like I gotta listen to whatever if somebody wants me to learn something but then you're not talking about that um, yeah more for your pleasure for my pleasure yeah I listen to uh, I like to keep up on like what's happening with new music so um, I really try to listen to almost anything I'll just I'll I'll hit play on on pretty much anything, whether it grabs my whether I keep coming back is another story. So, I mean, I'm lately uh, J D Beck and Domi are really cool. Um, there's there's a lot of drummers and instrumentalists that I like to uh, keep keep tabs on. Um, there's uh, a band uh, from Australia, Hiatus Coyote, that that's really cool. With a, um, she's a great singer, and uh, I pretty much listen. I listen to whatever my ears are are open. Um, 
I try to I try to always uh, listen to like what is new, but I don't I don't think I'm like definitely I'm definitely wouldn't consider myself like in the know of everything, but I try to be aware of things. If somebody says something, I'll check them out. Nice. Definitely. And uh, some of your favorite drummers. Oh yeah, uh, I like all the drummers that that everybody does. All the ones, they're all great. You know, everybody, <laughs> anybody that um, recorded or is, they're all worth listening to. You know, because they were on those sessions for those reasons. But like. Uh, regardless of genre, like mm -hmm. I just have listened to, I've studied them all. In Krupa, Buddy Rich. Yep, I met Buddy Rich. Oh wow! What yeah. was that like? He has just a, a reputation, I understand. Well, so this gets back to Steve Marcus. Steve Marcus, that guy I mentioned, mm. a couple of years later. Uh, actually, uh, probably around the time that I was born. When my dad went with Thad Jones and Mel Lewis, um, Mel Lewis was sort of the polar opposite of Buddy Rich, and my and so Steve Marcus went with Buddy Rich, but as his lead soloist, he was also asked at the same time to join Elvin Jones band, but he already told Buddy that he was going to, and he actually wanted to be in Buddy's band because he loved Buddy from when he was a, like a little kid and uh, so he went on to be in Buddy's band like through all killer force shit all the way until Buddy died and then he actually ran the band after and did all the burning for Buddy with Vinnie Caliuta, Dennis Chambers, Dave Weckl, Neil Peart he would be you know, I'd go over. We'd go over to his house, and he'd be like, "What do you think of?" So, what do you think of Neil Peart? <laughs> <laughs> and or or Dennis Chambers, or you know, he'd be asking me what I thought, and I was like, "You know, these are the greatest drummers of our time." So, he uh, one night we were. I guess I was twelve. My dad was doing a, a week in uh, with. Um, Cab Calloway in oh, Massachusetts, wow. and we were hanging every night. It was it must have been in the summer because I wasn't in school, so it was like a week of of uh, Cab Calloway every night. And then on the way home, he said, "Hey, Count Steve Marcus, they call him Count, mm -hmm. everybody call him Count, um, is playing at in Salem with with Buddy Rich. Like maybe we can catch him on the way back." So we. We went down there and we only heard like the last song and we heard Steve Marcus soloing and then Buddy took an incredible solo of course and then I saw and this is before I saw Frank Zappa oh. <laughs> so but uh yeah because I was much younger so um then we were all of a sudden we were by the bus and I remember meeting Buddy Rich and shaking his hand. Wow, that must have been something. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Just yeah, he's probably he's up him Krupa. Yeah. As far as like, if if you had to pick one, the greatest, he's on that short list. 
and he so he and Mel were both were best friends these they were like they loved each other even though they sounded completely like Mel Lewis was t total opposite he didn't have much flair not a lot of flash but he was super musical and he would right. knew how to like back up a band like in a very special way I mean, super magical touch and everything in a lot in a no whole other way than than buddy but they admired each other and buddy would say you know Mel has the greatest jazz symbol ever made and his ride symbol it's the greatest symbol ever made and all the, and then they would every once a year go eat a hot dog together or whatever mm. in New York but um, so those are you know you can't avoid those kind of influences into the rest of music but yeah nobody really did it, it like Buddy he was well he started as a kid as like he was always a front man he learned how to play before he was uh before he was three, he was, you know, already like a master. It's it's un unspeakable. Yeah. It's unheard of. It's it'll never happen again. Probably that not. kind of thing. But um, it'll be a different thing, probably. Oh yeah, there's always something <laughs> that comes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a, like a totally unusual coming up as a vaudeville child prodigy. Traps the boy wonder. He was, and he was started performing. He was eighteen months old or something like that. And it was vaudeville, I guess. Still. And it was, yeah, very much vaudeville coming up and tap dancing and all that stuff. Yeah, which a lot of a lot of the great drummers. That's a thing. Like Steve Gadd, the Murata brothers. That all had dancing background, which is interesting. And any high points of your uh, travels and performing that you'd share come to mind? Uh, yeah, uh, well, I made it as far as uh, Singapore uh, with uh, Savoy Brown. And um, unfortunately, we just lost uh, the bass player I was on the road with, Nathaniel Peterson. He just passed away like a couple of days ago. Oh. And uh, he was like, a great guy had like un unbelievable stories this this guy had growing up in Detroit with like Alice Cooper and uh, and Iggy Pop like you know crazy stories of like his parents walking like stepping over them after parties in the morning stuff like that oh wow that close but uh and we did uh, we did some cool gigs like opening up for uh, Peter Green. Um, Ooh, what was that? Did you get to meet him? Uh, like? We didn't actually get to. I didn't get to meet him um, because he was like too too uh, much of a. Um, I don't think I like I. I'm not like big on trying to meet people like yeah. that. Um, but it, I mean, it would have been cool. But you know what I mean. <laughs> it doesn't seem like he'd be the most social person. Yeah, it either. was like sometimes, like I had enough, I think it was the same place, even that place, Tramps in the city, or was that BB King's? It was one of those places in, in New York. And uh, another time opening up for um, 
opening up for uh, Wilson Pickett, it was the same thing. He's like even his band didn't want to be near him. <laughs> like he's too scary. Of a, uh, just yeah, some people are not approachable, and and Peter Green at the time he had just like come out of. I don't. I think they were surprised that he was even going to be playing. Right? Then he actually showed up. Yeah. And and played and everything and I remember you know but we got to do we were opening up for Johnny Winter sometimes and yeah. the funny thing was Kim used to have like Led Zeppelin and Kiss opening up for him you know back in the day right like, so thing the tables turned on him so he was kind of a little bit bitter about it yeah but um yeah and we lost him this past year too his story is pretty amazing. His brother, like, his brother was the guy that lent Clapton, Jimmy Page, and Keith these blues records. Oh, that, wow. And he'd say, you know, bring them back in 24 hours. So these guys would go take them home. They all lived within a three kilometer radius of uh, Harry Simmons, Kim's brother, who was Kim's manager through the, like, when he was big. Right. And then, uh, anyway, those guys never mention his name. They only say, the, they mention collectors, two different collectors. Mm -hmm. Harry was definitely one of them. And so, because they only had, like, an hour, I mean, 24 hours overnight, basically, to they would devour, uh, get as much out of it as they could, licks-wise or whatever. That's how those guys became right. great blues Not masters. Back then, you t had to grab the music where you could. It wasn't yeah. that nah, we live in yeah, a miraculous were, time. I mean, they it's had all stuff that there. people here didn't have because these guys were had serious collections, like crazy, crazy records that you couldn't even get here. Like people didn't have them. These guys had them. When it wasn't popular, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, fashionable, shall we say, to be collecting the old race records and, and such. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think Robert Johnson, not that long in our lifetime, was this obscure guy that nobody yeah. really knew about. Yeah. No, it took a long time for those recordings to come out. And then they were fast. <laughs> they, yeah. they weren't even at the right speed but now you can hear them like more what they probably were how they were actually recorded right. which is interesting but um yeah if I evaded that question well enough no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were wonderful is oh. there uh, anything else that you would like something you want to promote or oh yeah I'm doing a thing in uh, TRC up at um up at uh, Artist Abbey. Oh, okay. Boggs' um, place. Yeah, at Boggs. Uh, I'm doing a duo concert. I got this guy coming down from um, uh, Albuquerque. We've never met. Ooh. And uh, we're going to play... He's a saxophone player, and we're going to do... kind of. It's kind of like a tribute to my, me and my dad, how we used to go in the basement and just play duo growing up, when I was growing up. And 
So yeah, saxophone and drums, and we're just gonna play, improvise. No yeah. tunes, I'll freedom. To try to check that out. Yeah, bring bring friend, bring bring a date, you know. Something. Yeah, yeah. bring or not. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's gonna be some kind of like potluck thing, and, and that's uh, October twenty second. All right. Yeah. No, this is a Saturday before then, so yeah. Hopefully some local people hear this and yeah. show up, and I'll see if I can show up and drag along somebody. Yeah, rally, you know. Or just show up myself. Just show up, yeah. The recluse comes out. And I'll remind you, you know, I'll make a... Um, yeah, do you know what We're going to make an event. Cool. Rex Trim is his name, and he's from the East Coast, too. He moved out here from, uh, from Pittsburgh, and... We were both lamenting the whole scene out here, so we said, let's do something. Yeah, the scene here just, it, it does this really weird rise and fall thing. Yeah. And it hits some really nice peaks, but then yeah. it's like the yeah. karaoke person at the brewery. Hey, don't get me started. All right, no, or me. <laughs> no, we're supposed to be promoting how wonderful TRC is, not exactly. shooting it in the foot. It's good enough at doing that for itself. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yes, 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 we can. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks a lot thanks for, for having me. Talking and um, yeah, right. Right very nice to meet and talk with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, likewise.